On Thursday, the 6th of December, an annual fundraiser in Falmer will be held for the Manikiri School in Nepal, a school in a remote area in the South Asian country. People in Malagiri live in extreme conditions of poverty, and for over a decade, the university has been raising money for children in the area. I'm Richard Newman, and in this week's episode of Catching Up With, I've been speaking to Lorraine Harrison, who's been heavily involved in the project. She's from the School of Education. We spoke about how the charity started, the school itself, and the upcoming Malagiri festive fundraising extravaganza. My background, I originally started off as a teacher. I came to the university in 1990 as a lecturer. And I've had the most fabulous career here. I ended up as head of school of education and I decided I would like to retire, but didn't quite work. And as you can see, I'm still here um, and doing various, various things within the school. So a, a passion for education. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that you've, you've shaped the way that the School of Education sort of works now as well. I like to think so. Um, I've always had a a very deep commitment to education. I wanted to be a teacher from as long as I can remember and actually influencing education and helping to shape it in a university like ours has been an enormous privilege. Now in the UK uh, we're obviously extremely fortunate to receive the education that that we get um, but not everyone around the world is so fortunate so which leads us to the Managiri School. Could you first give us some background and explain where this link up came from? Okay. So there were three people who were quite influential in the development of the school. Somebody called Karin from Sweden, who's a philanthropist, a member of the School of Education staff called Kevin Fossey, and a monk called Pema Dorji. And the three of them had a vision to create a school in a, in a rural part of Nepal, very poor, subsistence living only, to try to give the children in that area firstly an education and secondly a chance to lead a different kind of lifestyle and bring some prosperity to the region and that's where it started really Um, and Kevin came and spoke to me and said do you think we could raise money to build the school and that's that's really the the origins of the whole thing so we started to raise money Um, a charity was set up in Nepal in 2009 and the School of Education did all sorts of funding activities and in 2011 the school was opened and I was lucky enough to go to the opening ceremony in Nepal and see those children going to school for the very first time. It must be an amazing moment but what, what, why the area, why Managiri? It's a very remote and would seem quite a random area so it must have come from somewhere. Absolutely, the school is actually on a, on a, a road called the Raj Path which is a road to India and many of the children were sold for the sex trade so they were unsafe and in Nepal only about a quarter of primary school children ever get the chance to go to school there was no school in the area and it was felt that a it was important for children to have an education and b it would protect them from being sold and taken to India um, by a terrible means really and just just for context, um, to this place where Malagiri is, it's about 270 miles away from Kathmandu with, by roads. Um, so it's a very remote area where opportunities without a school would be extremely limited. So the, the villagers without a school have very little opportunity. 
what happens is that the very few crops that they have that might be spare, they travel into Kathmandu, which is a long, long bus journey, and often very young children were then left to take care of their siblings. No quality of life, no education. Often when they were selling their crops, because they didn't understand any mathematical concepts, often they were charged too much for them. It, it was just just terrible for everybody in, in that whole area. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it will hopefully as well create these opportunities for these children to go on and do something else if they wish as well. Well, there's one example I can give you that I travelled to Nepal last November to see how the school was getting on and they have a young teacher helper there who is a villager himself who they are training up to become a teacher. Now that for the village is tremendous because it's given employment to somebody from the village. He has credibility. He's got enormous talent that otherwise he probably would have moved into Kathmandu and and they would have lost that talent. Equally, the staffing at the school, so the cook and the guard and the cook's helper, they are all local villagers. So actually, not only do we have a school there, but we have a hub for the community and we've got hope for many of those families who otherwise probably wouldn't have any income or, as I say, they would have moved into Kathmandu. And then the village was likely to be destroyed, really, because there wouldn't be enough villagers to keep it going. I mean, you must have seen it grow massively then since it first opened. What was the moment like when you when those children went into the school for the first time when you saw that? It's difficult to describe. When we, when we arrived at the school, it's a very long journey, so hours and hours of hairpin bends on single-track roads. And we arrived at a very sharp corner, and in front of us was this massive orange building so easy to see and all of the children and their parents and their families waiting for us um, and and greeting us and the children were so excited about going to school for the very first time and you know many of them walk three or four miles a day to get to the school but they don't miss they don't miss their education they all are so keen to learn so when the teachers have their lunch breaks the children go and get on with their work unsupervised so that's the kind of commitment they've got to going to school and becoming educated and um, how have you seen it change in that what so I guess it would have been five years five six years or something since you since you last saw when when you first went there to now or very recently and how's it changed since then I think it's changed in that there's a much stronger ethos so the school has very clear values and it's understood by the whole village the head teacher has set up a community fund so that the villagers are beginning to give a little bit of their money to help the school to survive there are community events that go on in the school so some of the villagers have painted some of the inside of the school to keep it looking good there are I suppose now a core of villagers who really understand the importance of education for their children and are committed to that, which is something that has grown tremendously. Where have the teachers come from as well? So the teachers come from 
the local area, and when I mean local, I mean Kathmandu and, and the local area, they, they actually live in the school during the week because they couldn't possibly come to and, to and from the school every day. And as I say, one of the teacher helpers is a local person and the cook and the other people that support the school are all local villagers. It's not been plain sailing. Um, I mean, there's fundraising, which must be a, is a massive job as it is, but there were the earthquakes in you know, a number of years ago and that, that, had its, that causes problems as well. So in 2015, there was a tremendous earthquake in Nepal and the school was hit by the earthquake. So a couple of the buildings needed to be rebuilt and some of them needed to have some significant repair. We did a, an immediate fundraising campaign. I spoke on the radio, we, we did a local television interview and I did that with one of the students who'd been over to the school and we raised in excess of £9,000, actually, that we've used to rebuild the school. Originally, we put tents up in the playground because the buildings couldn't be used, and the, the rebuilding has actually only just finished, so it's taken an awful long time to have it completed. But it's now done, and the school is back to its, its former glory, if you like. But it has been difficult because it's difficult to raise money um, when you look at the pictures of the children, they're well fed, they look terribly happy, they look well cared for. But if you then go to their houses, you see the poverty, you see that they're living in houses probably only of one room, no electricity, no running water, the water isn't clean. So I, I think what you see is the benefits of the fundraising that we've done. And we need to keep it going. We need to continue to support these young people, I think. Yeah, and the fundraising does keep going. And we'll talk about um, what's coming up in just a moment. Could you give some context about how much money translates into what can be provided for the school and the students? So it costs us about £25,000 per year total to maintain the school, to pay for the staff's salary, to um, provide uniform for the children and to provide food for the children. And again, that's why they look so healthy, because they are given um, a good lunch at the school every day. In terms of what that means, perhaps broken down, it costs about £7.60 to, to feed a child for a month. So that's all of their lunches for a month, which is not a great deal of money, really. It costs about £11.40 for a school uniform for a year for one child. It costs about £9.20 for one child to have all of their stationery for a year. A head teacher will earn about £131 a month, and a head teacher a teacher helper or a junior teacher will be paid about £83 a month. So that gives you some idea of the breakdown of the costs. OK, and then next week, big fundraiser here in Falmouth. So tell us what's going on. Next week, big fundraiser. We are having um, an extravaganza. It's on the 6th of December from 12 until 3. And we're having a kind of a bake-off. So we've got three categories for the bake-off. Savoury food cakes and cakes that didn't quite work out as expected so <laughs> we're hoping that people won't be put off by the competition and if they have a go and their cake isn't quite what they expected it to be it can still be entered for a competition 
we've got a tombola and we've got some crafts that people can buy. So we're hoping very much that we raise some money. This is an annual event. It's a great feel-good factor for the School of Education and everybody gets involved. So we're looking forward to it very much. Yeah, You've actually brought some examples uh, with you, which will um, obviously doesn't work brilliantly for radio, but we'll pop a picture on, on, the, website on the website as well. Um, just explain these and what, just the context of what this would, this would buy. So I've, I've made some little table decorations, which I'm hoping people might want to buy instead of Christmas crackers. They're homemade, they're knitted, they're Christmas trees, Christmas puddings and Santa hats. And inside each of them, there is a chocolate. Now, if people bought four of them, they would actually be spending or giving us enough money to feed a child for a month in the school. So I'm hoping that people will come and have a look and see if they'd like to buy something great idea um and also i mean that's not even where it finishes because there's going to be a, a festive jumper campaign running uh, throughout uh, a couple of weeks in december and i'll be raising money for the managiri school as well which has got to be a great thing absolutely so i think festive jumpers definitely you could bring festive jumpers on on the sixth as well and we could have a really engaging event i think yeah we'll put more details uh, on this article as well and there's more details on that festive jumper campaign on staff central um will you be entering the bake-off well i may be in the category of it didn't quite work as expected i think <laughs> but yes i'm going to have a go <laughs> okay we we finish every podcast um with a few questions away from work um, they're all quick fire questions okay. so first of all your favorite place in sussex my favourite place in Sussex is Cookmere Haven. Do you want to know why? <laughs> Go for it. But it's actually a very recent answer that we had as well. It's very oh, really? popular. Really? Well, my background is I'm a geographer and I very much love the sea. And Cookmere Haven has that wonderful combination of the most glorious landscape coupled with the sea and it's peaceful. Um, what are you currently reading, watching and or listening to? So I'm currently watching MasterChef Professional on the television. I'm hooked because I'd dearly like to be able to cook like some of those professionals, I must say. OK, describe your perfect weekend. Perfect weekend, definitely walking in the countryside without any traffic involved and quite challenging walking, I think, to make you feel like you've, you've, you've put a bit of effort in. Followed by some kind of live music event followed by dinner with friends and a couple of good bottles of wine, I think. Sounds good. Um, and if you can invite three people to dinner, past or present, who would they be? Okay. So the first one I'd invite is Michael Morpurgo, children's author. I've got a, a, a real love for children's literature. And Michael also runs a charity called City Farms where he gives children from urban areas the opportunity to go and spend a week in the countryside and that for me being a geographer I think is a very important thing to do so I think he could tell a good story but he and I could share some geographical experiences as well so he's the first one the second one is someone called Catherine Johnson and she was one of the three black women who supported the first um manned trips to the moon or to the to, into space and she was really the brains behind the mathematical calculations and they called her um, a human computer and I just think 
what an interesting person to have a chat with and somebody who really put her head above the parapet and did something amazing. And shown in a film... Hidden yeah, Figures. She, she was in the film Hidden Figures, which I, I thought was an amazing film. Um, but also, you know, for somebody to, against all the odds, to do what she did and finally get recognised, um, because I think Barack Obama gave her a particular award. So I'd, I'd like to talk to her. And the third one, this is quite an interesting one, I'd like to invite my father-in-law, because I never, ever met him. And he, um, he's an interesting character. He was born in La Paz. He um, was educated in Germany, lived for much of his life in France, and then finally spent the rest of his life in England. And sadly, he died before I ever got to know him. Spoke five languages. So I think I'd be quite interested in learning about some of his life stories too. Thank you to Lorraine for her time. In the description of this podcast, you'll find details about the fundraiser and how to make a donation. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast by using Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. You can also follow us on Spotify. Next week, we'll be speaking to Dr. Alison Willows, chemistry course leader here at the university. Thanks for listening.